0: Capone with EM Over Easy and I'm joined today by Tanner. Hello. John. Hello. Molly Estes. Hey everybody. And Andy. Hey. All right so today we're going to talk about a topic for our med student over easy section where based on an experience that I had recently as a resident at our shop I was working a regular shift. We had a third year med student with us and we get a call from EMS that a cardiac arrest is on its way. So as an intern at our shop, I get ready to intubate. I am getting all my stuff together, getting in the right zone, and I bring the med student with me up to the head of the bed and start going through how I set up for intubation. And we're getting ready, and patient comes in, and we're running the code, and they're on a Lucas device, and... And we're going through, and they've given epi in the field, and the patient's been down for more than 20 minutes prior to starting compressions. The patient's in PEA. We've given multiple rounds of epi. We've tried all of the things. Lactate comes back at 6.8. We kind of all know where this resuscitation is headed. And I look at my senior and the attending, and they're making the decision of whether or not we're going to conclude the code. And we went ahead and did that. And we walk out of the code and I'm cleaning things up and I look at the med student out of the corner of my eye and I could she just has this deer in the headlights, shocked look on her face. So how would you guys approach this scenario? You see this happen. Do you go back to shift? Do you address it? What do you do at this point?
1: So I'll give some quick feedback. First of all, kudos to you for recognizing that it happened because we don't don't often acknowledge that residents and and interns are residents, but interns, residents, learners, nurses really do pay a lot of attention to what's happening. So even though you were focused on the resuscitation, noticing it is the big thing. The first thing, my general question for everything, and I may phrase it a little differently, but it's always like, hey, what's going on? What's happening, depending on the look or the face of the person, it may be very different. I may kind of say, "Hey, can you come with me over here for a second? or sometimes you can use your physical presence to actually block someone a little bit to keep them in the room or to direct them away from the room um, without them really knowing that you're doing it, but that's the first thing I feel like you need to know what the current situation is, so you need to know what sits up
2: I start with a very similar kind of general overtake. And I even go perhaps one step further back. I usually will pull the learner to the sides, just not even ask them, how are things going? Because usually at that point, their face is saying, not good, not good at all. And say, hey, so I know that was a lot. Can I ask you a kind of hard question? Is this the first time you've seen somebody die? And I find many, many, many times, this is the first times they've actually ever seen a human being die before. And we really have to, I've I've found that we really have to acknowledge that part of what's happened before we can ever begin to dive any deeper into any of the medical nuances, team nuances, communication nuances, any, any other direction that that conversation can possibly spin off to, because they're still stuck in their head at the oh my God, oh my God, you're not alive anymore part of it. And they can't even process past that. And sometimes we don't even get any farther than that one question. That's
3: a really good point. I, I think that is probably one of the biggest components of this whole conversation is death and how you know it or don't know it. I, I think for me, even in this scenario, I would hope that I, I don't get learners very often with me, but when I do, I try to know what their eventual goals are going to be if their eventual goal is to be a psychiatrist, I'm going to approach this scenario much differently than somebody who has intentions to be an ER doc. Because if they are intending to not be in these kind of scenarios very often, that's going to change my conversation of, okay, let's just kind of debrief about death and and these kind of things. But if it's an EM or surgeon-oriented person or someone that's going to be involved in these kind of critical scenarios, often they may be more embarrassed than afraid or or something. And so that kind of approach is going to be a little bit different depending on what they want to do in the future.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think so. And I approached it very similarly. I, I asked her if she wanted to talk and I very quickly learned that that was not the first time she saw someone die, but it was the first time she ever saw someone on a Lucas device, which I remember was a big deal for me, only because it's pretty aggressive for some reason watching a lucas device give compressions versus a person it's just different
1: well,
4: i think you bring up the point that i mean even just the recess whole thing i mean if, if we were to put a rating on that from like a movie standpoint I and mean, they're, they're watching, 10 out of 10 brutality they're, they're watching and rated x scene nc 17 these are things that adults would avoid and yeah. then we're just saying hey by the way come in and watch this recess with me and we're so desensitized to it that we see chest tubes and intubations and everything else and they're like what you're doing what to what because they have no idea what they're walking into and then they see it and you can't unsee that.
1: Yep. And it's a really fascinating point too about the human versus non-human. So over a long time of experience, I have seen many people that are, they absolutely do not want to be on a ventilator, but you can keep doing what you're doing now while someone is manually bagging or because it's that, that sensation of as long as another human is, is participating then there's some connection to life. But once it's a machine, right, and then it's very much a different thing to many, many people. And it's a fascinating thing to to see. And I can imagine as a student, I saw the Lucas devices kind of come along in development, and it still kind of shocked me how... I, I think it's just the precise methodicism, right? It just... Nothing changes. It just keeps going. So it gets into the wrong place, it keeps going, it slides off, it keeps going like nothing. Those chest nothing, compressions so, are exactly as deep the, as they exactly need to the same. be
2: and that is how they're deep they're supposed to be, but it looks you are breaking a human body.
1: You are. And interestingly, that used to be a key area for people that needed to regather themselves during resuscitation. Because one thing you could focus on are, oh, are the chest compressions being done properly and being done well enough? And now you've removed one more thing to look at. So, yeah, I can see how, A, if you've even if you've seen a death before as a student or just a dead patient, seeing someone die after that level of intervention is probably a very different beast to tackle.
3: I think there's something, too, about I remember doing chest compressions on a human and you it's that weird i'm doing something active and it's almost like a meditative type state like you're just doing in your head you're trying to keep the pace you're trying to do the right depth and all that kind of stuff and you're very engaged and active so you're not thinking about the other stuff and when all of a sudden you can offload that i mean that's what we talk about all the time in the er how do we offload our cognitive burden so that we can focus on the bigger higher level stuff and when all of a sudden the bigger higher level stuff if you're new or this is a new experience is, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, that person's dead. That person's heart's not beating. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Then it starts to be really, really interesting in terms of emotions and interactions and things like that. so
0: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting questions that I got from this particular student was once we had gotten kind of through those first few things was she said, well, why did we stop giving Epi? Because at a certain point, we stopped giving epi, we continued compressions and continued doing other interventions, but we stopped giving epi. And it wasn't something, I don't think I would have been that observant as a student to have noticed that piece with, like you said, everything going on, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that's not something that I would have noticed. And I think it, and she said, it upset her. She's like, did we do everything for this person? And I think that that was part of it was she didn't realize and know all of what we realized and knew about this patient and all of the science behind how long he'd been down and what his lactate was and, and things that I've recently learned but didn't always know and forget that I didn't always know.
2: So I think that that's a really good point in this whole debriefing debriefing process, right? So we all know that the debrief is not even 50% about the medicine itself, or it shouldn't be, especially if you're talking about SIM debriefs and communication emphasis and all this, that, and the other, the medicine's not as important. For younger learners, talking about the medicine is actually really important because they need to have you to guide them through some sort of mental framework model so that their brain can begin to interpret everything that they saw because they don't know the student might be able to recognize the word epi out of all the words that are being thrown around. And that's the one thing that their brain hinges on. And if left to their own devices with no conceptual framework whatsoever to interpret information through, they're going to draw all sorts of crazy conclusions about how those inhumane ER docs just called the code on this patient. And isn't it horrible? We could have saved them when in reality, that's not what's going on. So even if you don't get deep into it, you have to give them some sort of starting framework so that they know how to process what they've just seen. Yeah,
1: it's so true. And the the interesting thing, too, is one of my passions is that you tend to hopefully perform as you're taught. And if you think about this student, I don't know their existence in life, but I can certainly easily envision a world where they had a sim lab at their school that was run by a paramedic that had years of experience and drilled into those people epi every three to five minutes, epi, epi. Epi, because that's what they were taught, right? And so they're teaching the right things, but in that gap, the science has changed, but the literature hasn't, the the textbooks haven't caught up. So only the people that are doing the most cutting edge are the ones that know that it's different now. And so it looks very much like you're doing a bad thing And that when that's really what you know, when it's at that life or death moment, that feeling that you didn't do everything you could. And certainly, one of the worst things is when a student is a part of the team, but doesn't feel empowered to ask. And it's not a blame. I 100% understand why this student would not, in the middle of the reces,sity be like, I have a question. I get it. But also, appropriate insight. <laughs> but from a, right? But, from a, but from, a, from a very funny place, at least the people at this table, if a student did that, I'd be, cool, what you got? Right? When I ask... Does anyone at at the resuscitation have anything they'd like to to add? It's an authentic question. If somebody's wheeling by, mopping the floor, it's like, hey, I, I think they're in VTAC. That pointed out. Let me know something's going on.
2: I had one student a couple years ago who actually spoke up when I asked that question and said, "Well, what about glucose?" I was a like, "Great idea. Let's <laughs> yep. do it." And Let's do it. Just watch their face go. I
1: contributed. Yes. Right. So.
0: Yeah, and then I think the last thing is. If you kind of off of what you were saying, John, if the teacher doesn't notice that the student needs to talk, how would you how would you advise a student to go about asking or because a lot of us will after resuscitation if it's particularly long, will then run back to the computer to then go see the next patient because they just roomed a bunch of people. And now I'm trying to catch up on my notes and get other people dispoed. And so a lot of us just kind of go back to business as usual and a lot of times are pretty busy. But I feel like none of us, especially none of us at this table, are too busy to stop for a few minutes and have that conversation.
3: I feel like that's the easiest way. I mean, in any situation for a learner is – I mean, you, you, you recognize when people are busy and they want to go and do something like, it's really easy to see somebody who's not in a mode to pay attention. If you get that from your, your attending or your resident or whoever you're learning from, just take that brief moment, say, Hey, when we have a minute, can we talk about whatever? And you, you set the stage, you give them the subject, you give them, this is what I want to talk about when we have a minute. And that way your person who's doing the teaching can say, okay, they want to talk about death. They want to talk about Epi. They want to talk about something to do with that resuscitation. And then when they find that moment, they can then loop back to you. Or end of the shift is always a, a reasonable time, too, depending on how things are going and stuff. But.
2: I tell my students all the time I'm like, look, the emergency room is the most non hierarchical place in the hospital you will ever find. It does not matter, like John said, who you are, what part, what member of the team role you fill, you can ask anybody, anything at any time, and you will be respected and acknowledged just like any other person in the department. So I would completely agree with Tanner, it doesn't matter who you ask, how you ask it, just simply say, when we have a minute, can we take a minute? And I cannot imagine a scenario where anybody in the average ED would look at you and say, No, sorry, shut down. Absolutely not. And if your if your resident and your attending get pulled immediately back into another resuscitation or doing 20 other things, talk to the bedside nurse, talk to the tech talk to the charge nurse, talk to anybody in that room. You have lots of things to learn from everybody, even if they aren't necessarily the physicians involved in the case. So pull somebody aside and say, hey, can I ask you a couple questions about what just happened?
3: Some of the most knowledgeable people are going to be those techs and nurses because Absolutely. they see how every different physician runs their codes. And so they've probably asked the same questions at one point to be like, why do you do it this way? and this person doesn't, or some sort of flair on medicine that someone else does. And you can learn a lot from them because they see everybody as opposed to just the one-on-one.
1: It is such a high compliment when a tech or a nurse tells you that you do awesome resuscitations. That is, the, that is high praise. One just, I guess, point I'd like to feed in the universe and maybe manifest it some energy is in that whole space that we do, we need to normalize that the post-resuscitation gathering yourself is part of the resuscitation. And this concept we have of we have to go back immediately and sit in the chair and see the next patient, there there are times, right, I get it, there are times that there's the next sick patient that's really, really sick and needs to go in. But I've learned over time looking at the board that that usually isn't the case. And so my question would be, What would be the difference between them bolusing with you, with those patients at the start of a shift where it just happens to be the bus unloaded and eight people come back and you scan the board and go, they're all fine. They can be triaged and I can get myself ready. Or just this feeling of sometimes it's more about idle hands, right? Like maybe if I just jump into the next patient, I, so one thing I would recommend is if it's possible And I do this a lot more now than I used to. I don't actually go back to the spot. So there's something about when you go sit in your chair, wherever it may be, and you're sitting at the computer that you are now on again. But when, if you don't do that, if you go to a different place, if you step away from the department or step into the ambulance bay or whatever it is, you will quickly find that the department will carry on. Things will still happen and that they will they will find you if they need you. But it's about having trust in the people around you too. So my thing is I make sure that everybody's okay. And then I actually go make sure that I'm okay. And I'm really good with that. And I really encourage residents to do the same thing, to make sure that, you know, everybody really is okay, and normalizing that process. Like, you don't just have to go right back in. My go-to is I don't do
3: any other charts or see new patients unless, obviously, super sick. But until I complete that chart from that patient that we just coded, because that gives me a like standardized process to actually go through each step of that that case and mentally kind of wind down from it and talk about it, so that when I sign that chart and that patient's done, I can. I can close the loop for myself. And then I feel like, okay, now the department's back to where it was before this code happened. And I can kind of get back to essentially just separating that case out from everything else.
2: Yeah, I'll admit that I'm pretty bad at ensuring that I have debriefed myself uh, after some of these really critical events happen. So my learner asking me a question, me helping them, is actually me helping myself as well. They're doing me a favor by engaging.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you guys, and I think that was a great conversation.
4: Well, thanks for making it all the way to the end of that Med Student Over Easy episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or head on over to our blog, emovereasy.com. Also, don't forget, we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. You can learn more about this great organization by heading to acoep.org, where you can find about an upcoming CME event where you might get to see a few of your EM over easy hosts live and in person for a show. Until next time, thanks so much.